0: Hello, welcome to the podcast. This is Classical Music Decoded, and I'm Dino Madramuthu. In the episode about Dvořák's New World Symphony, I said Dvořák's advice to American composers was to seek inspiration in the music of their own country. He also said that African-American music would become the basis of a distinctly American style of composition. One composer who realized this advice, whether intentionally or not, was George Gershwin and the subject of today's episode is his famous composition, Rhapsody in Blue. It's a piece that's easy to like. It has a certain style and panache. In September 2022, Rhapsody in Blue was performed by the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra. The soloist was Nina Schumann, a pianist from Stellenbosch, South Africa, and she was fantastic. Gershwin started playing the piano as a young boy and was quite adept at improvising melodies. He left school in his early teens but he continued lessons in piano and music theory. At the age of 15 he got a job as a pianist for a music publisher and a few years later he started writing songs. His first big hit was the song Swanee and that set him on the path to writing for musicals. In January 1924 Just a few days after New Year's Day, an advertisement appeared in the Tribune newspaper in New York. It was about a concert that was billed as an experiment in modern music. The objective of this experiment was to present American popular music, like jazz, as something worthy of serious consideration. Back then, jazz was not accorded the seriousness it is now. It was dance music, so it was light and frivolous. The concert was presented by a conductor named Paul Whiteman. In the advertisement, he proudly announced that the event will feature a jazz concerto, as he called it, composed by George Gershwin. This came as a huge surprise to Gershwin, seeing that he had never composed a concerto, jazz or any other kind. He called Whiteman to find out what was going on, and Whiteman reminded him that they had discussed the idea 18 months previously. So Gershwin agreed to compose a new work, which was very sporting of him. The problem was that the concert was a mere five weeks away and not enough time to write a full concerto. So in exchange for agreeing, Gershwin extracted a few concessions from Whiteman. The first was that the new work would not be a concerto, it would instead be a free-form composition. The second is that Gershwin would not have to do the orchestration. That would be someone else's problem. So Gershwin got to work and after three weeks he emerged with the composition with two piano parts. The first was the soloist's part and the second was the bit that had to be orchestrated. This was done by Whiteman's staff arranger, whose name was Ferdi Grofey. And he arranged the composition for solo piano and jazz band. In 1926 he arranged it again, this time for solo piano and symphony orchestra. Incidentally, Grofé became a composer in his own right. The premiere of Rhapsody in Blue took place in February 1924 in New York with Gershwin as the soloist. It was immediately popular. That's probably because the audience felt some connection to it as it is unmistakably American music, with its jazz influences at the front and center. It's also probably because Gershwin combined jazz and classical music with such a plomb. The music begins with a famous clarinet solo. Gershwin composed a sequence of 17 notes that rises up to the first theme. At the rehearsal for the premiere, the clarinetist Ross Gorman played the sequence as a glissando He did it as a joke, but Gershwin liked it, so it stayed. After the glissando, the clarinet introduces the first theme, which is not just influenced by blues, to my mind, it is blues. It might seem strange to talk about the blues in a work that's inspired by jazz, because after all, the blues and jazz are different genres. But the blues preceded and heavily influenced the development of jazz, especially harmonically. The sound of a lot of jazz is derived from the sound of the blues, and there's a large overlap between the two. This was especially true in the early days of jazz. There's a second theme, introduced by the horns. Like the clarinet theme, it's heard repeatedly throughout the composition. Thereafter, there's a section where the soloist plays alone and emulates the jazz piano styles of that era, like stride piano, for example. A new theme is introduced by the trumpet before the first horn theme is heard again. There's a fairly long piano cadenza before another theme comes in. It sounds like something that a composer from the Romantic era would have composed. This is where Gershwin's propensity for writing memorable melodies shines through. City in blue is a free-form composition, but what ties it together is its use of jazz vocabulary. Those things that make jazz sound like jazz. This includes, of course, the harmony, which is derived from blues. It also includes the swing. Observe people in the concert hall when this work is being played. You will see some moving their shoulders, some moving their heads. That movement that you see and feel, that's the swing and it's important to many forms of jazz. Another element of the jazz vocabulary used in Rhapsody in Blue is the feeling of spontaneity, of music taking shape on the spot. Although this work is composed from beginning to end, it's written and played in such a way so as to capture that feeling of jazz spontaneity. In an interview, George Gershwin said that Rhapsody in Blue set him on the path to creating more serious music. He later sought out Maurice Ravel and Igor Stravinsky with the aim of taking lessons in composition from them. But Gershwin's career as a composer of serious music was tragically cut short. He suffered a brain hemorrhage and died at the age of 38. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Rhapsody in Blue. I'm Dino Madrumuthu, and this is Classical Music Decoded. Feel free to listen to the other episodes in this series, which you can find on Iono.fm, Google Podcasts, Player.fm, and CastBox. I also post episodes on Twitter, so you can follow me there. My Twitter handle is at Dino underscore mad. That's D-E-A-N-O underscore M-A-D.